In this podcast, I'm going to talk about some conclusions I think we can reasonably make from arguments, theistic arguments, for the existence of God. So you're probably familiar with the the major arguments for God. There's the uh, first cause argument, uh, and that's really a family of arguments. So there's many first cause arguments out there. And then there are design arguments uh, for God's existence. And then the, the last major category uh, of arguments for God are moral arguments for God. And I'm not going to, in other podcasts, I'll cover those arguments in more detail. But in this episode, what I was planning on doing is just uh, making some summaries or what I think are reasonable conclusions from these arguments. So if you're not familiar with the arguments, you can look them up online and just, you know, um, review them a little bit. And I will as I go through this list. But using abductive reasoning, I think from these arguments, we can make some, again, what I would say reasonable conclusions about what God is like from these arguments. And I'll use a couple terms interchangeably here. So in English, we you know, use the term God, and there's a whole history of where that term came from. But we use the term in modern day English to refer to um, a supreme being. So sometimes I'll, instead of saying God, I'll say supreme being or first cause, because most um, most of the time when somebody builds a case for the existence of God, they, they start with, with first cause arguments. So another term that I'll use interchangeably with God or supreme being is the term uh, first cause, which is what we you know understand God to be is the, the first cause of everything else, uh, the uncaused cause, if you will. So let's start with first cause arguments. First cause arguments, what can we reasonably conclude about God from first cause arguments? Well, since the universe had a beginning, and this is how first cause arguments often go, since the universe had a beginning, it must have had a cause um, outside of itself or or beyond the universe. Because something can't cause itself, right? Something can't be the, the, the cause of itself. Um, unless it is, unless it has no beginning. So everything that has a beginning must have a cause. And that's why we say, you know, there must be something that is eternal, something that doesn't have a beginning. There must be something that doesn't have a cause, an uncaused cause. There must be something like that. And for, you know, many years, scientists thought the universe was that thing, uh, thought the universe was the uncaused cause, thought the universe was eternal, so it didn't need a cause, which is, of course, what most theists say about God. So this idea of an uncaused cause isn't um, incoherent, because a lot of scientists, and non-Christian scientists in particular, thought that about the universe for, for many years. But when we have discovered over the last hundred years that the universe did in fact have a beginning, then this first cause argument has really 
uh, grown in strength because if the universe had a beginning, it can't be uncaused or it can't be the cause of itself if it had a beginning because it's fairly well established that anything that has a beginning must have a cause. So if the, the universe um, must have a cause external to itself or beyond, there must be a cause of the universe that exists beyond the universe, then if you think about it, if the universe just is space, time, and matter, then this first cause uh, must exist beyond space, time, and matter. In other words, I think it's reasonable to conclude from these type of first cause arguments for God that, that God, or this first cause, is spaceless, timeless, and immaterial. I think it's also reasonable to conclude that this first cause is very powerful. And I'm using the term power here just very generally to mean something that has a great amount of ability to do things. And bringing, into, bringing the universe into existence seems to reflect a, a being, or a first cause, if you will, that has a tremendous amount of power. And since it created the universe, or brought the universe into existence, I, could, I think it's safe to say that it, this first cause is a creator. It created the universe. So just from first cause arguments, I think we can reasonably conclude that the first cause is spaceless, timeless, immaterial, powerful, and a creator. Well, let's move on to uh, design arguments. And what design arguments for God say is, look, when we consider the universe and look at particulars about the universe and within the universe, we seem to uh, see design. And obviously there's argument as to how much design there really is, but I think it's hard to avoid the conclusion that there is design to one degree or another seen within uh, our universe. Uh, even the universe itself seems to be fine-tuned, if you will. Sometimes it's called the fine-tuning uh, of the universe argument. That is just one design argument. And most even non-Christians and, and atheists would agree that the fine-tuning argument is, Christopher Hitchens agreed to this, that the fine-tuning argument is the strongest argument for God's existence. But since we do see design and fine-tuning uh, in the universe, it seems reasonable to conclude that this first cause is also intelligent. The reason being is that we've just never seen design come about from anything else but an intelligent mind, and that's an empirical premise. We've just never seen it. There's just been no empirical evidence of design coming about apart from an intelligent mind. And so when we see design in the universe, when we see that the universe itself seems to be designed or fine-tuned, I think it's reasonable to conclude that this first cause is some sort of an intelligent mind. And then lastly, the last major family of arguments for God is the moral argument. So the moral argument, in a nutshell, basically says that, look, there seems to be uh, love and morality in this universe. That's important part of this universe is love and morality. So it seems reasonable to conclude that this uh, first cause then is also 
in some way the source and foundation of love and morality. So we can conclude then, I think reasonably we can make this conclusion, not with absolute certainty of course, but using abductive reasoning, I think it's, it's reasonable to conclude that this first cause is also the source of love and morality. And lastly, I think since morality is personal, if you think about what I mean by that, morality has to do with persons. In other words, you know, I have a coffee cup in front of me, I'm sitting at a desk, a, a chair, right? All of these are impersonal objects. And these morality, these, these impersonal objects don't seem to be part of the moral realm. So if I, you know, punched this desk or punched my wall here in my office, I'm not doing anything immoral. Um, you know, maybe uh, if somebody else owned this house, it would be immoral. Because if it was owned by another person, let's say, I would be doing something immoral to that person by damaging their property. But the walls and the chair and the desk itself doesn't really seem to be part of the moral realm. Impersonal objects aren't, um, don't have moral properties like moral rights and responsibilities. No, morality seems to have to do with persons. We're morally responsible to other persons. Persons have moral rights and responsibilities. So since morality is inherently personal, and if this first cause is the source and foundation of morality, it seems reasonable to conclude, to conclude that this first cause is also personal. So from these three different families of arguments, we can then make some conclusions about what this supreme being or first cause, God, if you want to use that term, is like. And I'll run down the list again. We can conclude from these types of arguments that the supreme being is spaceless, timeless, immaterial, powerful, a creator, intelligent, the source of morality, and personal. Now this is pretty incredible when you think about it. And what I'd like to do in the next podcast is run through various thinkers all around the world and throughout history who have come to this very conclusion about a supreme being. I'm very fascinated by this. It's, it's the case that um, you can find these conclusions. So many people groups, many thinkers from around the world and throughout history coming to this exact same conclusion that there is a supreme being and that the supreme being has these characteristics as I ran through, spaceless, timeless, immaterial, intelligent, personal, so on and so forth. You see uh, thinkers coming to this conclusion in ancient Greek philosophy, um, Western, Eastern thinkers, Western, Eastern people groups, all throughout history, around the world, separately, independently coming to this conclusion that there's a supreme being that has these characteristics. And I find that fascinating, even if they're not monotheistic, right? Even if they're um, polytheistic, they believe in multiple gods, if you will. Even polytheistic belief systems most often have uh, one of the gods being the supreme, uh, being the ultimate, being the source of all others. And even in our fictional writing, you know, if you think about the Marvel Universe 
or uh, Tolkien's uh, Middle-earth, Lord of the Rings. Whenever we create a fictional universe, it's almost unavoidable that um, we have to include some sort of ultimate. There has to be some sort of ultimate being or ultimate thing that stops the infinite regress. And this is one of the things that led, you know, thinkers, especially Greek philosophers, to posit some sort of a first cause. Because if you don't have a first cause, then it's just an infinite regress of causes that go back um, in infinity. And for the most part, philosophers have rejected um, the idea that there can be an infinite amount of anything, infinite amount of causes. An actual infinite is, is usually rejected by philosophers. So the, there... It seems to come up in our thinking quite often that there must be some stopping point or starting point. Maybe I should say it that way. There has to be some first cause. There had to be. There has to be some ultimate um, that 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 began everything. That has itself no beginning or has no cause. So the uncaused caused or Aristotle's unmoved mover. And so in the next podcast, what I'm going to do is I'm going to run through several examples. Uh, throughout history and around the world of thinkers and people groups who came to this conclusion independently and separately from one another.